0: Rippy writes with Brian Scott. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have.
1: What's up? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. We have a tremendous show for you to start off the week. We have M.A.I.S. Legend, National Champion, Man of the People, all in that order. Ben Van Cleave joined the show today. I thought it was a great conversation. Ben took an hour away from his Costa Rican vacation to talk to a uh, niche Ole Miss podcast. So what a guy. Um, got into a lot of different stuff. His role as a leader on this team. I know that sounds cliche, but we all know the story now of the uh, the speech he gave after the SEMO uh, loss and uh, where it kind of turned for this team, his role and mindset and how it changed and when that change actually happened and really how this team – ascended to uh, the pinnacle of college baseball from the depths of 7-14 and in the SEC. So we got into a lot of different stuff. I thought he offered a really unique perspective from uh, inside the dugout on uh, on both the highs and lows of this season and uh, the invaluable role that he played in it. Whether he wants to admit it or not, he was a crucial piece of this national title run in a lot of ways. And uh, I think you guys out there listening know that. So anyway, a great conversation. I really appreciate Ben's time a lot. I think you'll enjoy this show. So we'll just get right to it. But before we get to that, mind you, the podcast is brought to you by Mims Insurance. Glad to have my friend Matt Mims on board. He's Matt Mims is an independent insurance agent based in Oxford. Everything's expensive right now. Gas is expensive. Groceries are expensive. If you've got something you need to get insured, you want to make sure you get the best rate. Mims is the independent insurance agent whose sole job is to find you the best possible insurance rate. Whatever you need insured, whether it's a boat, car, house, uh, congrats on your boat if that's the case. Whatever you need insured, he can help you get the best rate. It can be overwhelming trying to find out what's the best way to go insurance-wise, whether it be provider, best rate. Just call Matt Mims and he'll handle all of that for you. That's overwhelming. You got enough going on, as is. All you have to do is call him at 601-218-7854. And he's going to get you taken care of. Tell him I sent you and he will get you the best rate possible. All you have to do is sit by the phone and wait for him to get back to you. He is the uh, best in the business, absolutely. He shops it through 10 different insurance agencies and comes back with the best possible deal for you. So let him take the hassle out of the uh, shopping for insurance quotes and just let him handle the process for you. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, He's definitely going to get you taken care of. Check him out there, MIMS Insurance. That is 601-218-7854. The podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. The world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. We've got football just around the corner. You're going to want to take advantage of this deal. So right now, they're running an Ole Miss national title special. The Skybox guys are Ole Miss fans. How about that? Right now, if you use the promo code NATTY, that's N-A-T-T-Y, I hope I didn't have to spell that for you, but just in case, you're going to get 50% off any picks package between now and August 17th. You're going to want to take advantage of this. Think about this. You can buy their NCAA and NFL picks package for the year at half price right now if you go in and buy it right now. Use the promo code NATTY. The promo code RIPPY for an extra 20% off still works. I don't know if you can double dip. We'll check with the Skybox guys on that one. But be sure to try both. Why not? You need to check these guys out. If you're into sports betting, they're absolutely the best in the business. They're going to lead you to profit more consistently than your own brain. You don't want the bookie texting you every Sunday night, Monday morning, this football season, asking you to square up because he just robs you blind. You want to be texting him asking where your supplementary income is coming from. Skybox is going to help you do that. They're the professionals. They hit it 60% last year in the NFL. They absolutely crushed college basketball. You need to check them out. SkyboxSportsPicks.com. So glad to have those guys on board. All right, here is the man himself, Ben Van Cleve. All right, we now welcome on a very special guest. I think the first Ole Miss athlete we actually had on this pod, so congrats to that, probably first line of your resume type shit, Ben Van Cleve recent national champion joining us from vacation. You are in Costa Rica, I believe. That is correct?
0: Oh, yeah, that's right. Now I'm here uh, trying to enjoy myself a little bit.
1: Yeah, who's living better than you these days? Um, uh, Costa Rica, it's an island. I believe if you have recently won a national title, like you can do whatever you want. I don't think you have to wear a shirt. So just keep that in mind if anyone tries to give you any shit.
0: <laughs> All right.
1: So there's a, there's a million places we could start with this, but I thought you would be a really interesting person to have on for a number of reasons because throughout really the back half of the season, the post-season run, you kind of became, I thought, the the face of the, the leadership aspect of this team. And I know it wasn't just you. I know it was a lot of the older guys, but from the SEMO speech and all of that, you played a really interesting role in this team. And I guess we'll start there because – you you could argue whether it was Fayetteville or SEMO or whatever it was rock bottom, but that day you decided to talk kind of take me through the process. Was it spontaneous? Were you sitting in the dugout as you know, y'all were getting your brains beat in we're like, someone's got to say something. Why did you do it? And like, how planned out was it?
0: Uh, well, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm sitting in the dugout against SEMO and the first thing that's going through my mind is, this shit sucks, right? It sucked. There was nothing fun about how we were playing, what was happening. And like, I mean, I'm sure some, some fans could see it too. Y'all could see it. I'm sure it was to a point where it, it, obviously it wasn't this way, but it was like, we looked like we didn't give a shit sometimes. Like that's the way it looks sometimes. And obviously it's not that way. The guys cared. Everybody cared. We wanted to win as bad as anybody. Uh, I don't, I don't think, me talking or speaking up to the team had anything to do with the success uh, that we had down the stretch or anything, but my whole life I've been a leader and I felt the need to say something and just kind of it, it was it was kind of a a weird speech in a way because I told the guys I was just like, hey, we need some people to step up and be more selfish. It was like we weren't being selfish enough. Nobody cared about their batting average. Nobody cared about the ERA. You know, I was I was kind of just trying to say where. If we have some a bunch of selfish guys in that aspect, you care more about those type of things, then walk we'll come together in old trans selflessness. Uh, I don't know if the message came across the right way or whatever, but it was just it was just something I felt like I needed to step up and say.
1: Was it like, did you were you you mentioned being in the dugout thinking like this shit really does suck? Were you in that moment, like knowing you might say something or did it kind of just the opportunity presents itself? Because I've stood out there plenty of times where, you know, Bianco talks to you guys and then that's really kind of it most of the time. It sounded like that day he left the floor open. Like, did you know when y'all walked out to what was probably a pretty unpleasant unpleasant post game meeting? Did you know it was going to happen then? Or did you kind of just seize the moment when you saw the opportunity while standing out there?
0: When we were walking out there, like I knew I wanted to say something. I didn't know that I was going to. And then, as we're out there and talking and going to the post game speech, I was like, "Yeah, I'm doing it, I'm saying something." Uh, I, I, I just I like to speak up sometimes. Sometimes I like to uh, show that I am a leader, and I wanted the team to know that I was there. And like it just it just hurt because because I've been an old Miss rebel my whole entire life, and. Just seeing how bad we were struggling, it just – it hurt. More More as a Rebel fan than it does as a guy on that team.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, like, it's, it's interesting. Like, was there a piece of it? Because that was prior to the Mississippi State series. And so you guys actually dropped two more series after that. And, like, that's kind of irrelevant in the grand scheme of things now. But was there any aspect of it of you being a senior – and you being it it, your last ride. Like, I imagine if it was your sophomore or your junior, there might be some element of complacency of, A, this isn't my place, or B, whatever, this is in the year, like, we'll see about next year. Was the fact that this was it for you, did that kind of create some urgency to be like, all right, what what do I have to lose here? Like, I'm not going out this way.
0: Yeah, I mean, being at my last year, and I feel like the guys on the team respect me, and I respect them, and I feel like they don't just – say whatever whenever I speak. I feel like the guys listen to me sometimes. And so that that's one of the reasons for speaking. And like, yeah, it is my last year. I didn't want to go out my last year and not even make it to a regional. Like how sad would that have been? Right. <laughs> I wanted to do it big. And uh I mean credit credit to everybody on the team and everybody came together and it was just awesome. It was awesome the way the guys played down the stretch.
1: So I've seen clip like snippets of this. Some guys talked about it after the fact. I kind of beat it around the bush but like what did you say? Like, was it, it, was it like ripping into them or was it just like, like how, like, how did you kind of balance the encouragement versus like, Hey, we need to get our shit together here.
0: Uh, the, well, I, it doesn't matter if I tell you what what I said, so I'll tell you. Um, I just basically, I was just like, guys, it looks like we don't care. Like we have 27 people in the crowd against SEMO and we're, we lost, what was it? 12 to two. Yeah. Like, we, we had 27 people in the crowd. We're going through the motions. Like, we don't care. We're not putting together bats. I mean, it's just like we're going up there. We might as well not have a bat in our hand. or pitchers going up there walking guys. Defensively, we didn't look good. It's just everything. We just looked like a sorry baseball team. Like, honestly, Alcorn State could have beat us that night. Like, it was just miserable. And just, just basically saying how we need to start caring. Like, this stuff means a lot more to – to this university, then you realize, like, people love Ole Miss baseball. Like, you you got to play for the name on the front. I mean, it's just we got to come together as a team and figure it out because this it was miserable for everybody. There, throughout the season, in the middle of the season, there were times where I'd show up to the facility and I'm like, God, we're playing so bad right now. Like, this sucks. Every single day having to come up here and we're playing this bad. And I'm sure other guys felt the same way. And it's just – It was becoming miserable to a point. That's how bad we were playing.
1: Yeah, and there's an element of you're running out of time because it's interesting that you mentioned like, hey, it looks like we don't care. I remember doing, we do a podcast twice a week, and so we'd catch you guys, like we would talk about whatever happened in the midweek, and then we'd do one on Sunday nights after you guys finished up the series. And it wasn't going great for you guys at that point, but it didn't look like y'all didn't care. And that was the first time where I was like, oh, man, have these guys folded it up. Like, that was really when it looked like it. Right. And then you stayed in Arkansas, and it wasn't that you guys quit and didn't care. Just some things didn't go your way. And so the results didn't come immediately, but you could tell, okay, no, they haven't quit. Things just aren't going well for them. But, like, at that point, like you mentioned, like, y'all were kind of running out of time. I mean, hell, after Arkansas, you're at 7 and 14, and I'm just kind of doing the math. I'm like, well, they're three losses away from – almost mathematically being eliminated from a regional opportunity, particularly with the way the RPI and the bubble and all that stuff seemed to be shaken out. Like they can only afford to lose two more games. What what was the immediate reaction to it? Like how, how, do, how was it kind of received? Did you guys go into that weekend with a different mindset, not necessarily based off just that speech or whatever, but like, how was it received and could you sense a change even though the results didn't come?
0: Uh, I felt like it was a good time to say it, Dan, because we did have a rival coming up. Right. Uh, Mississippi State coming to town, obviously, it was a big weekend. But to be honest with you, I mean, there were so many times throughout the season where if you look back at it, we were one pitch away from winning a series so many times. I mean, that weekend against Mississippi State, one pitch away. Uh, I'll tell you where everything turned around was when we went to Arkansas. We walked out of there. We could have swept so easily. I mean, we could have gone in there and swept them. We won one, but we're on the bus ride home. And the guy, everybody has a good feeling. Like, nobody's in a bad mood. It was the strangest thing. You would have never seen a team 7-14 and 14 in the SEC play so happy. Like, the team was just, like, in good spirits. Everybody, was like, we're on the bus ride home. We're playing cards. We're playing bus games. Like, whatever you do. And, like, we're, like, we're coming together. Like, it's about to get dangerous. And it was. It got dangerous from then on out. Like, we just went on a tear.
1: Did you guys know, because you're exactly right with that Arkansas series, y'all, like, I mean, you talk about three at-bats or something, and that's a sweep. Like, it, it was that slim of a margin. I remember I wrote, like, the next day, I was like, honest to God, I've gone through all this. I don't know how the hell these guys lost this series. It doesn't really make any sense. And so, at that point, you mentioned you guys have a good feeling, but in terms of just simply getting an opportunity to make the postseason – you guys were really up against it, like really, really up against it. I mean, how you had to go eight and two over those final ten games with the win at Southern Miss, you sweep LSU, you sweep Missouri, and then Texas A&M takes two out of three. But just going eight and two over that final ten games got you in by the skin of your teeth. You mentioned you had a good feeling. You know, the the Chris Cogwin talk has been kind of well-documented at this point. When you're going into that Missouri, Missouri series, is it discussed at all, like how slim the margin for error is? Or are y'all just trying to get out and go play good baseball? Like how how aware did you feel everyone was that like, okay, we, we really have no margin for error here?
0: So going into that uh, Missouri series, there's another thing I told the guys. I said, hey, listen to me now. If we go 14 and 16 in SEC play, there is about a 95% chance we're in the postseason. I saw a stat, I'm not sure, it was somebody posted on Twitter talking about SEC teams, 14 and 16 SEC play over the past like 20 years or whatever it was, and 95% of the time the team was in. Like something always happened. I mean, it was just the, it was, the RPI is usually good enough when you have that type of record. So I told the guys from then on, I was like, hey, let's go seven and two. We're at seven and two. I said, I promise y'all we'll be in the tournament. I made a promise to him, but like, I had no clue, obviously. But I make a promise to him. I said, we're four, if we go 7-2 and, and we're 14-16 SEC play, we are in the thing. We're in it. Don't worry about it. And <laughs> by God, we went out there and did it. And, and it, was, it was some of the most fun ever, just seeing the whole thing go down, like just week by week. It was just incredible.
1: And it was a wild run, too, because I thought when y'all left Baton Rouge, I was like, okay, this team has turned a corner, but is it going to be enough? And, you know, the Vanderbilt game happened, so you guys get eliminated, Hoover, in the single elimination piece of it. And then you're kind of sweating it out over the next five, six days. I know that's usually when Mike likes to let y'all get away from baseball a little bit. Like, you're probably still working out. But what are those five, six days like all the way up to Selection Monday as you're waiting? Because, like, anything – I don't know how big a bubble watching you were in, but it was some pretty shit luck in terms of, like, anything bad that could have happened to shrink the bubble it did. And then you got some places kind of projecting you guys as the first four team out. Take me through those five, six days where you're just in Oxford doing whatever, all the way up to the moment you figure out you're in and you do have a chance at this.
0: Okay. So the morning after we lost to Vanderbilt. Yeah. Whole, whole team. We thought we're in like, nobody's worried at all. Not a soul. We're like, yeah, we're in. I mean, we did enough over the last three weeks. We're in. We're 14, 16. Like we're in. Uh, We start intersquatting for the next two or three days. I think we had three inter-squats, Let the pitchers stay loose, get their arms to shade, let the batters see some live pitching and uh the week goes on and on, and like you said, there was a bunch of shit luck for us. Okay. The teams we needed to lose were winning, and it was it was bad like we we were like, well, uh this doesn't look good. We didn't think we're in. So we go to Coach Bianco's house the night before selection show. We we had a end of the year team dinner. We do it every time before every year before postseason. Uh, It was a weird vibe at his house that night. Like it's just like you can see the guys are kind of like about ready to just be like hang it up because the season's over. So everybody thought like because of course we're bubble watching. We're watching all these D one projections. Everything we're like man they don't even have us in there. Like they're writing us off. They've just completely written us off. And uh, so we go to selection show. I think it was Monday morning. Uh, we have our breakfast, and we're all just sitting there, and we're just like, man, we don't want to watch this thing. Like, <laughs> we're not in. Like, we're, our season's over with. Uh, I'm really, really close with our hitting coach, Mike Clement, and I'm sitting there, sitting across from at breakfast. He kind of gives me a look and smiles. And I was like, what's going, what? Anyways, uh, selection show comes on and by God, they let us in. And I knew what that smile was all about in- then. And we knew uh, the c- committee messed up when they let us in. Like, and we saw the draw we got. We loved our draw. I mean, we're, we're facing Arizona who we faced last year and took, knocked us out. <clears throat> we don't know much about Miami, but we didn't think, we didn't think they're going to be a problem for us. It was just, it was that, that moment, the, uh, emotions that those last three days leading up to selection show were just unreal, like so many highs and lows.
1: The selection Monday is a weird vibe because it's not like basketball. It's like basketball, they keep that pretty locked up, and they kind of basically announce it live. To where, in like, dirty little secret in baseball, particularly in, like, coaches and media circles, by, like, 9 a.m., you kind of know who's in the field, particularly if the team you cover. Like, you, you have any sort of contacts. Like, you can kind of figure out who's in. So, like, you guys, you mentioned Clem gives you that smile. 9, 10 a.m., like, I got a text. I was like, I I, I think they're in. Here's what it is. And I was like, wow. Okay, so they did get this opportunity. And then they showed the video. You guys were pretty elated. And I was – I mean, you answered my question already. What I was going to ask was, because you said at Mike's house the night before, like, it was a bad feeling because you probably knew it wasn't looking good for you guys. And that's kind of where that sheer elation came from. You mentioned they messed up letting you guys in. What was the – was there any mood difference – after like the selection show versus practice because it's a weird dynamic you guys had already started playing better baseball like when you mentioned eating breakfast i would have if i was sitting in your shoes or whoever on the team i'd have been like damn is it really going to end this way like we finally kind of turned the corner and we're going to catch this bad break like did anything change after you guys got in or was it more so relief
0: uh it was relief that we got in and but at that point we're like we're playing with house money now yeah. the last one in, nobody expects us uh practice that day was awesome I mean it was the best practice of the year because we <laughs> I mean 30 minutes before we're in the mindset that we're about to pack up all our stuff at home our season's over and then we're like boys get your cleats on it's time to practice uh and everybody's excited like we're just we're like when, when we flying out to Coral Gables when are we getting down there when are, let's let's get this thing rolling so uh that those that week was just awesome I mean we're we were so excited because you know usually we're sitting at selection show Monday and we're like we're in, are we what, what number seed are we hosting? Right. What, are we going to be a national seed or not? Uh, it was so much different this year, but it was it was uh exciting actually. Uh, it was nerve wracking but exciting. I mean I I liked it. Yes,
1: yeah, so it's interesting how that plays out because like from our perspective, like in nineteen when you guys were definitely a host. You know, whether it's a national scene or not, we don't know. They throw like a big one up there in the Diamond Club and they let us come because you know you're in. But when it's like the smaller and it's not certain, it's like team building <laughs> and you're like, oh, I don't know about this. And so, like, I was, I thought y'all would probably get in. And, but I, I based on Sunday night, I, I wasn't really sure. And I was like, man, this isn't looking great from a bubble standpoint. So, you guys, before we get into like the rise part of it, because I, I think this is the most fascinating piece. When you talk about this team in 10 years, and someone asked you, well, what changed? Like, what, what? how would you tell, like, explain that to them? Because I looked at it from a couple of different perspectives. I thought when you guys were struggling, I was like, well, you know, maybe there's some, like, toxic locker room dynamic or whatever. But anyone you talk to be like, no, we have great dudes on this team that enjoy being around each other. This shit's just not working out right now. How would you describe, like, if someone asked you, like, what changed? How would you explain that to someone that wasn't around?
0: Well, I think – what it seemed like during that bad stretch, it was like to a point where the baseball guys were against us. Everything that could go wrong was going wrong. Everything was going against us. And I think what kept us together so well is, I mean, you just mentioned it, like the guys in our team, everybody outside of the locker room is best friends. Like we are so close with each other and we all stick together. So it's not like, sure, we might have some – quarrels in the locker room like hey we need to figure it out but like we're best friends off the field so like we're we're always together I think what changed is we started playing relaxed we started playing smooth it was like kind of like like what I said a second ago like we, we were playing with house money at that point and it was just everybody was relaxed and didn't really have a worry in the world honestly it was it was it was really cool to watch
1: one of the more unique things about you guys' team when it wasn't going well was I've covered a couple of Mike teams to where they like things weren't going and they weren't living up quite to expectations. But this team was different because you guys had a couple like moments of kind of vocal social media aspect of it, whether it's a former third baseman just kind of throwing us <laughs> coals on the fire. But, like, you guys had that moment where you were, like, kind of firing back a little bit. And I <laughs> some people who don't know – I'm not going to get you in trouble, I promise. But like I, I, I don't care. That, that, that didn't know, like, what you guys were about and weren't in that locker room. I think maybe some people took it as, like, oh, these guys don't get it. Like, they they just aren't – like, there's something off with them. They don't understand it. Whereas now, looking back and the way you just described, you guys were tight. It was really just kind of defending yourselves. Like, they, not to give – all of that credit by any means, but you guys kind yeah. of were more vocal about like kind of standing up for yourself on social media and stuff like that. Was that just because of how tight knit you were? Like was some of that rooted in that?
0: Uh, yeah. Everybody wanted to have everybody's back. And a lot of the stuff that was said about us was just so much bullshit, like right. so much bullshit. <laughs> uh, that That's one thing I-, I would like to be vocal about with our fan base who cares what happens in the regular season? Who cares? Don't say a word ne- – don't say a negative word about our team in the future. Like, what's the point? If we make the postseason, we prove that this year, you never know what's going to happen. Like, who cares what happens in the regular season? It doesn't matter. All that matters is you end, end the season with a ring on your finger. And that's what happened this year. I mean, there there were so many times where – like. Don't get me wrong. We have, we have some great fans. We do. Like we have, like you saw it in Omaha, like they showed up and they were ready to go, but we have so many fair weather fans that just, it's going to talk shit about the team at any opportunity they get. And it's just something I'd like to see change in the future. Cause I'm a rebel fan. I have been my whole life. Like I, And like, as a guy that's gone through everything, it hurts the players. Like it does. Like if, even if you think the guys don't see it, a lot of guys see it. and, I mean, how do you think it feels when you get on Twitter and you see 27 different people mention your name and just talking terrible about you? I mean, this—it's it's not good. Like, obviously, like we have some strong-minded individuals, and but you see all athletes all over the country that, I mean, having to see doctors. Like, some guys even committed suicide just because of certain things that were said about them. So that—that's just kind of my my take on it for the future like who cares what happens the regular season let it play out let's we'll see what happens
1: it's a great point you make because like like i remember when i was younger and i had to cover recruiting and it was predominantly with like basketball and football players but they talk about like their haters or whatever i'm like this kid's 17 years old what the hell is he talking about haters but like i'm not the one opening up his twitter app every time and it's easy for people to be like well just stay off social media where it's like well you're 19 years old like when you were 17 when you had the same social media account you know, you weren't some pseudo-public figure, basically. Like, it's way easier said than done than just be like – will block all of that out. Well, like you're yeah. everybody gets on social media. Hell the people chirping at you guys are addicted to it more so than anyone else. It's like a drug. So like it's so hypocritical to like tell a player or someone to be like, well, just don't look at it. It's like what's well, on your phone in front of you every day, like every other average yeah. individual. And like again, how exactly, how would you like it if you typed your like name into Twitter or opened up Twitter and you got fifteen people talking about how bad you sucked? You're like, I don't even know who this guy is, he doesn't use his real name. <laughs> He's
0: it's, got seven followers. Yeah.
1: It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's from it's seven dollars and, and an infinite amount of terrible opinions, but like, it's way easier to say that when you're not in it. And so I just thought that was an interesting aspect just because you've never, like I've never really covered an old Miss baseball team where guys actually kind of chirp back. And it, I thought it ended up kind of being a test of you or a, an indication of how tight knit you guys were, even though it might've been misconstrued yeah. at the moment. Let's get to the fun stuff, the rise. So you guys go down to Coral Gables that night. You're down four to two in the sixth, and then Peyton Chatagnier kind of just says, I got this. And one of the things that was so fascinating about this historic postseason run, because it's such a wild story in so many ways, is so many different guys became heroes in so many different ways. Like, whether it was Hunter Elliott kind of coming into his own, or, I mean, hell, if we're being realistic, if Peyton Chatney doesn't do that the first night in Coral Gables, we might not be talking about any of this. the, the, The Elko double right after the bad inning against Miami there were just so many guys that stepped up in so many ways Calvin Harrison the World Series I could I, mean, I could go on and on and on it finally seemed like things just came together for you guys and so I guess we'll start with the the Coral Gables piece of this you guys are down four to two in the sixth inning against Arizona and I don't know if you knew this but in the regular season you guys were I think like 0 and 14 or 0 and 15 when trailing after six innings and you well, I didn't inning. know that and I'm just curious, like, was the mindset any different when you're down four to two entering the sixth or the seventh or whatever it was in that game versus maybe some postseason games when it wasn't going y'all's way? What was the dugout like? Because y'all were very much in it. Y'all caught some bad luck the second around time through the order against that starter, I forget his name. But did y'all Were y'all still in it or was it kind of like, oh, shit, we're up against it again? What was that like?
0: No, it was – I mean, we thought we were in it. We Like, the whole entire postseason, it was crazy. We just <laughs> – I mean, starting from there, we were in it every single game. And we knew, like, it's the postseason. Like, if you lose, you're, you're almost through. Like, I mean, double elimination, obviously, and that was the first game. But, like, we're not going to go down losing. And, and, I mean, Peyton gets that double. And when – did that tie it up? Or did that – I think that tied it up, right?
1: Yeah, and then he hits the home yeah. run that puts him in. Yeah,
0: so he, he hits that double and ties it up. I mean, Peyton, what, what a huge regional. I mean, what a huge postseason for Peyton. He just did awesome. And uh, he hits that double. And we're like, <laughs> okay, here we go. This is it, uh, and then he comes up again and hits that homer. I mean, just was huge. I mean, the whole entire time, we thought we were in. We we never thought we were out of it in postseason play, not once.
1: There's so many more memorable moments on this run, but one that maybe is not talked about as much as the others because obviously, as you go on, the games get bigger. But I could sense this in you guys' celebration. When you guys beat Miami in that winner's bracket game, did you kind of know, okay, this is on. Like, we were going to Omaha. I get you still had a long way to go. But the way you beat Palmquist that day after the sixth inning where it honestly looked like one of those games in Arkansas, you're like, my God, they left so many dudes on the – like, how did that happen again? To recover from that, to pitch as well as they did, and to beat really an elite quality left-handed arm like that, when y'all won that game, could you kind of sense, like, Okay, we we got a run in us because it felt like it the way you guys kind of not celebrated but kind of carried yourself. You could sense the importance of how huge that game was.
0: Oh yeah, we we knew that regional was over and we won that game. Uh, we were in the driver's seat, but about Palmquist, that dude was a stud. I mean, he just he he was the, probably the best starting pitcher we faced all year. And then we get later in the game, and Tim comes up to bat, and who the hell throws Tim Elko a one zero fastball? <laughs> Like, what are you thinking?
1: Good point. I, I don't, hadn't
0: thought about it like that. Who, why, why are you throwing Tim Elko on a fastball? But, uh, yeah, we, we won that game. We, we knew the region was over. And then, like, of course, we were at a point where we were like, we hope Arizona beats Miami so we can face Arizona. And, of course, it happened. We are like, oh, they have no pitching left. It's over. And, obviously, they had no pitching. We put up 20 whatever runs in that final game.
1: And that felt like Hunter's coming out party in a little bit of ways. He had pitched well for almost two months at that point. So a couple of his early starts in April, it seemed like he caught some bad luck defensively. And like his numbers didn't show how well he was pitching. So I'm sure you guys had full confidence in him even before that. But I just remember thinking after you guys get out of that regional, I'm sitting there thinking, well, how the hell is someone going to beat them with Elliot Delusha in a best two out of three? Like, did y'all kind of sense the same thing after that, after a freshman did that on that stage?
0: Uh, without a doubt, um, that was our first thing when we saw that uh, Southern Miss, we actually found out, and I think it was during the Arizona game, the championship, like we're, we're up like 15 to five, whatever in the sixth or seventh inning. And we found out in the dugout, somebody let us know that, uh, hey, uh, we win this thing, we're headed to Hattiesburg. And we were like, let's go, let's go. Southern Miss cannot beat Delucia and Elliott. Like that's not happening. Uh we we felt really really great about our chances there because we knew that they, they couldn't hit very well, um, and we had obviously we have dilution Ellie on the mound and we go and throw two shutouts. But uh, those those two guys they they really came on and anytime they were pitching like as a, like so it was starting from that super regional on anytime they were pitching our offense kind of just told you each other we get three or four runs we win this game and I mean that happened the whole entire postseason like those guys were just lights out watching Elliot grow up this year was incredible I mean I'm super proud of him he grew into a man halfway through the season on to the end of the year and then thank goodness Coach Bianco made Dylan Delusha a starter because he was terrible out of the pen thank goodness (laughs) because he's one of the best pitchers in the country as a starter
1: with the Elliot piece of it, one, I don't get to ask these important questions nowadays that I'm not on the beat. What's up with the sleeves? He'll wear that shit in, like, 90-degree weather. Is that just what he prefers? What? Why is he a sleeves guy? Have you ever asked him? I,
0: I can't quite remember. Uh, I think he just – I think he likes staying warm. Like, he doesn't want his arm to get, like, cold at all and thinks the sleeves are the best option. Uh, whatever works, works. I mean, hell, he, he, he shoved.
1: Yeah, I was. Just, I mean, I was in, a like, a air-conditioned bar in Hattiesburg, and I was like, I'm sweating watching this guy. I just – I've never – <laughs> whatever works, like, I, you can't question it, but I was always just curious about that. For a guy like that, you were an older guy on this team. To see a freshman do that, and not only – it's not only what he did, I was would watch most of the post-game press conferences, and if not, I would have, like, Chase send me the audio. He would – like, they would ask him throughout the year, like, do you feel like you're gaining confidence? And he would act almost like – not in a bad way, but almost, like, annoyed that that was even an idea. Like, he was like, I've been confident ever since I picked up a baseball. Like, what are you talking about? This is what I'm supposed to do. To see an 18-year-old kid, 19-year-old kid gain that type of confidence in SEC baseball, because, like, that's not easy, right? I mean, look a couple years ago, like, Dillard and Kessinger and all those guys were studs, and they struggled as freshmen, and that's different than pitching. But, like, does it affect you guys as a team when you see a kid that's a true freshman just be completely fearless the way he was?
0: Yeah. I mean, Hunter, Hunter's a, he's a great guy. And we, we have core covenants at Ole Miss, uh, R-E-B-S revs, relentless, excellence, belief, and selfless. And he had the belief all year and belief. Our definition of belief is knowing we can succeed in any situation. And he took that to heart. I mean, he had it the whole year. It might not have shown because obviously we were struggling, but I mean, he was still putting together some good outings. He just had some bad luck earlier in the year, but, in the postseason where he really started doing his best. I mean, first, like, for me, from my point of view, he started doing really well, like, towards the end of the year when he his, he dropped his velo down a little bit. Because Hunter Elliott can throw 92-94. I'm not sure if everybody knows that. He can. He did it all fall long. But he realized he was more effective when he dropped his velo down. He was, I think, 87-90 all postseason play and throwing his best he had all year. But it's, it's a huge boost to our team. Like, we've we got a freshman on the mound who thinks he's the – Best player in the world, like that's awesome for us. I mean, he's got a big set of nuts. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so you got you mentioned something interesting earlier because I thought this after the fact, but it sounds like you guys knew it before. About five innings watching Delucia pitch against Southern when they went through the second and third time through the order, you know, the foul ball grand slam thing aside, it was very clear they couldn't hit that level of pitching, and they hadn't seen a whole lot of that this year. Did you guys have a hunch in that going in? Because it sound, the way you made it sound earlier was yes. Because when they didn't make adjustments on him the second and third time through, I was sitting there thinking, these guys have their clue is the third time through the lineup. Like, my God, they're going to have to face Elliott tomorrow. Did you guys sense that going in? Did you know that would be possible, like, beforehand?
0: Yeah. So, when we played per, uh, Southern Miss down in Pearl, yeah, we weren't pitching it that well during that time of the year. Like, we were leaving fastballs middle, breaking balls up, like, all of that stuff. And, obviously, they hit well that game. But then we get to pitching, like, some of our best. We did uh, – like, when we faced them in Hattiesburg during the midweek and the regular season, I think Drew McDaniel went five or six strong. Maybe I think he gave up one run ball and a solo shot. I think that's right. Uh, and then Kimbrell comes in. Maybe Mallets finishes. I can't remember. But whatever it was in that midweek, like, we saw what, like, what good pitching does to them. And they, they didn't really – have much of a chance against it. And then we watched some more video on tape. Anytime they faced a pretty good arm, it's just they really struggled. So, going into that series, I mean, I don't want to say we just knew we were in Omaha, but basically we knew we were going to make it there. Like, we, we knew we had studs on the mound, and we knew that they couldn't hit very well against those type that type of pitching.
1: From your standpoint, this was – I remember watching the celebration afterward, You're a senior on this team. You're a good hitter. It's one of the best offensive lineups in the country. You were in the mix all last year on a team that really just destroyed the SEC in pretty much every pitching category. But kind of the way the math shook out and the way the lineup shook out, you're at bat shrunk a little bit. And I just thought it would be easy for a guy on his way out that's not getting to play every day to kind of check out. But you did the opposite of that, whether it was the speech. And I promise you, I'm not the only one that noticed this, that you were the first one out of the dugout at every celebration. Um, I don't know how you beat some of the fleet or foot guys out there, but props to you when y'all dog pile dogpiling the mound. What you mean? I'm fast. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't slander your speed, but <laughs> the, for you, the, like, what made you want to stay engaged and take on a role? Because on every single championship team, like pe- people say that stuff is cliche, but you look at any sort of championship team, they have some sort of DNA guy that kind of embodies that. And whether it's leadership or just keeping up morale in the dugout, and I don't want to make you sound like Rudy or something, you contributed to this team, <laughs> but just being in the dugout and like, like and stay <laughs> having that type of attitude, despite your you know, not getting to play every day. How did you manage to do that? Because that's a very selfless thing to do that this team unquestionably needed.
0: So I'm glad you asked that. Um, Last year, I think I got 100 or 110 at-bats. And, I mean, sure, it was a good amount of at-bats, but I wasn't happy with that last year. I'm not going to lie, I was kind of an asshole last year. Whenever I'd look at the lineup card and I saw my name wasn't in it, I was like, man, come on. Like, what? Like, I I had this – yeah, I had this – and I was miserable last year, like not miserable with like the team and everything, just miserable that like, I wasn't getting more shots at that point. And whenever I had my ex me in the end of the year and I kind of voiced my opinion and whatnot, and that went on and I was like, well, yeah, I'm coming back for my fifth and final year. I told myself then and there that I'm going to be the most supportive, selfless guy I can be. I'm going to be happy. I don't want to be miserable again. I want to enjoy my last year. I want to do what I can to help this team win a national championship. I want to do whatever I can. And I, I stuck with that all year. Uh, sure. I won more bats this year, but Hey, like who cares? Like I wanted to be the teammate that I knew I could be. I wanted to be the friend I knew it could be because I made so many more best friends this year on my team. Like I had friends last year on the team, but this year I made friends for life. Just And it's all because I changed my attitude and I changed my mindset. Uh, I've got guys that will be in my wedding one day. And I'm so grateful for that. And I'm so glad I decided to change my attitude. Um, and I wasn't the only one that was selfless. I mean, we had a team full of selfless guys this year. And I think that's another reason for our success at the end of the season.
1: Yeah, and I know you don't want to take credit for it, but I'll just say it for you. Like a team that's 7-4 team, if you don't have a guy or guys like that, like it doesn't turn around. Like that's just not really how that works. Like you have to have someone that is kind of – almost like you're rationally positive. I mean, you're sitting there like giving a speech after the SEMO game, and I know not all of that was completely positive, but you're like, hey, we're still in this when it didn't look very good. You kind of have to have that, and it, it certainly had an effect on this team. I mean, I think that's undoubted. And you also had a tweet that I happened to come across my page after y'all won at uh, Southern, and I think you said something to the effect of jobs not done yet. And I thought that was a very – apt way to describe what it felt like when you guys were headed to Omaha because when Mike made it the first time in 14 that team was really good but that felt like breaking down the wall that they finally got there and they were kind of happy to be there and they lost that first game and it was kind of like all right like they don't really have much of a chance you guys sound like you showed up ready to win the whole thing or there was a like all or nothing type of deal like it sounded like y'all showed up to win the whole thing.
0: Yeah, we weren't satisfied. Like, we didn't want to come this far just to get knocked out in Omaha. And it just be a fun story. Like, hey, this team that William's supposed to make postseason made at Omaha. That, yeah, that's a fun story. But, like, we we were trying to win the whole thing from the start, from the jump. Uh, and, like, that's that's something that – so, Chris Coglin came and talked to our team. <laughs> funny, funny that it was the morning of the first game against Mizzou. He came and talked to us. And he was telling us about his run with the Cubs and how everything went and just basically how those guys knew they were going to win a championship from like the middle of the season on. And he, he kind of mentioned to us, he was like, guys, you're already national champions. You just have to go out there and uh, execute it. Like if you think you're national champions and you are. And I think we took that to heart because from then on, like we, I mean, I guess you could say that was a turning point. Chris Coghlan coming and speaking to us. He's an awesome guy. And, uh, like from, from the start of the season, it was always to win a national championship. It is every year, the program we're at. I mean, if you're, you're at a lower level uh, school, then that can't be your goal every single year. It's just not possible. You don't have the recruits, whatever it is. But uh, every single year, that is our goal. We want to win a national championship. And that was never out of our mind until somebody told us, hey, you're not available to play anymore. You're out of the postseason, like you're done. So that was never out of our mind until we were done with the season.
1: We'll get back to Ben in a second, but before we do, just want to take a quick break to remind you. The podcast is brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywright.substack.com. Your uh, inbox has been empty for the last two weeks, but I'm going to change that over the weekend as we get the newsletter cranked back up. But Just type in your email, a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's one hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend. As we hit in the dog days of summer, prime grilling season, you're going to want to go into LB's and find your own favorites. Oxford is so lucky to have a place like LB's. It is absolutely the best place in the world to get meat. I love the uh, tri-tips. you got the filet burgers, all kinds of delicious sausage, fresh seafood. Greg's got it all, and if he doesn't have it, he will get it for you because he wants to make your grilling experience great. Absolutely a staple of the Oxford community. Check them out, LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here is back to the conversation with Ben Van Cleef. Y'all go through the first two games, 08 DeLucia do exactly what I think everyone thought they would do. You guys honestly felt unbeatable with those two on the mound. You lose the Wednesday game against Arkansas, and you have to come back and play Thursday. And I remember I wrote, like, some quick thoughts that night on, like, this newsletter I do, and I was like, I don't think this team loses tomorrow because of all the we are old Miss past teams are tight type of thing. I don't think with what this team has been through, that's ever going to be, like, the reason they lose. They may lose tomorrow because Connor Nolan's awesome and they just fall short. But I don't think it's going to be because they finally lost a game and then they're now they're up against it and they just kind of wilt in the moment. But that being said, that was a really emotional loss the night before, right? With Just the, with the way it ended with the tying run on third base, winning run on second base, you guys have to turn around to pretty quickly and kind of like flush it and, and, and you know, prepare for the biggest game of your careers to that point. How did you all do that? What was that 12 hours like?
0: Uh, we were pissed off we lost. Nobody wanted to lose. Nobody thought we were going to lose. The whole team's pissed off. Like, we're like, we're supposed to be hanging out today and relaxing and getting ready for a national championship coming up in two days. Like, everybody was just angry. And it carried over. Like, we, everybody settled down eventually. Like, we, we go to the team meeting that next morning, and everybody's still angry. We're like, dang, guys, come on. we got a game to play. Uh, everybody settles down a little bit, and then we all realize, oh, we've got Delusia on the mound. So we knew we could get six or seven strong from him, that he was going to give up two runs or less, which he does. And uh, it was just – I mean, it was, it was exhilarating. Like winning that game, knowing we're planning for a national championship and the team we were going up against, and we, we were just ready to go
1: you mentioned being angry after that and like it fading into something productive right but you're still pissed off you lost was that something that maybe was like not there when you got swept by tennessee in early march like was that maybe the kind of intangible factor that was lacking early on
0: yeah you're right we we weren't ever really pissed off when we lost earlier in the season sure we're upset but we're not we weren't pissed the way we were after we lost to arkansas and the, in omaha like there were guys that were just mad like it was it was it's kind of funny watching it because, like, I knew in the back of my head, like, I'm this positive guy. I'm like, we got Delusia on the mound. Like, we're good. Like, we're good, guys. Come on. Uh, and also for the We Are old Miss crowd, that's dead. No more.
1: It has no more.
0: Happen. Until it's a thing again, no more. Y'all can stop with it.
1: I think you guys permanently killed it. Delusia, I don't really know what to say about that day. That's one of the most impressive sporting performances in any sport at any level I've ever seen in my life <laughs> to do what he did on short rest – Connor Nolan was really, really damn good that day, and DeLucia just was perfect. Like, I don't really know any other way to describe it. I mean, obviously you guys are locked into the game and you, you have a million other things to worry about, but as a fan or just someone watching, I feel like a lot of people were just mesmerized watching that. I mean, hell, the game finished in like two hours and seven minutes or something. Yeah. Did y'all, like, have you had the chance to look back or did y'all ever look back as a team and you're like, that was absolutely absurd what that guy just did?
0: Yeah, we in the middle of the game we're looking at each other and we're like, "Oh my god, what is he doing right now? Like, how is he how is he pitching this well at the end of the season like this?" It's just it all came I wouldn't say out of nowhere, like he was progressing to it in the year, but like just so dominant. And I don't know what he was doing that was just so effective. Whether his fastball was sinking a lot, whether his slider was just like a frisbee, I, I don't know what it was, but whatever it was, it was it was, it was beautiful to watch.
1: What is he like? Because like the important pieces on teams like that, I remember Christian Trent back in 2014 and I remember talking to Sykes Orvis about him and Trent was almost just like so aloof to the moment. Sometimes it worked to his advantage. Like he had to win the, the must win game at Lafayette in 14 and like, uh Sykes tells some famous story where like they no one's talking and they're walking back to the bus and like Trent's just patting his shoulder and he's like season's right here I got this shit and just was like laughing to himself <laughs> like what is Delusia like like I feel like you almost have some have to have some unconsciousness to the moment to thrive in situations like that how would you describe him to somebody
0: so Delusia off of the field when he's not pitching his days he's not pitching he is the most talkative person you'll ever meet yeah. He can just he, – he can, he can hold a conversation. He can talk. He can BS with the best of them. The day he is pitching, good luck getting a word – like, good luck getting a word out of him. He's not going to say a word. He is so just ultra competitive and so locked in. Like, you can go up to him in between innings and try to say something to him or try to say whatever you want to when he's pitching. His eyes aren't going to move where they're at. He's not going to look your way. He's not going to – he's not going to acknowledge you. He he gets so locked in that he does he can't even he can't focus on anything else.
1: You think that's why he's better as a starter? Because in the pen you don't always know when you're going to pitch. In the starter you have no. that build up to where you're like, hey, don't talk to me. This is my day. You think that probably plays in that, a it? I
0: truly think that is because like when you're in the pen you don't know when you're going to pitch. It's hard to get locked in. I would imagine it's kind of like a pinch hitter. It's hard to get locked in. But uh, when you know you're going to start, you got hours and hours to prepare. So I think I do think that definitely was a factor this year
1: final series when y'all take the field and you see what the stands are like I went I flew up from Dallas I was like I just want to see this like and I bought tickets I remember buying tickets I was like I want to be on the Ole Miss side because I don't want to be stuck in a bunch of OU people <laughs> Ole Miss been- side there, there was no <laughs> Ole Miss side like I so for, I, I bought tickets for game one and then I was like I'll see where the Ole Miss side is for game two and then when we got in there I was like There is no Ole Miss side. This is their stadium. There's no Oklahoma section. When you guys walk out onto the field that night when it is full, I mean, I know you're locked in, but, like, what was that like? That had to take you back a bit because, look, y'all play in front of huge crowds. That was something different. That's a 25,000-seat stadium with 23,000 Ole Miss fans at worst. Like, what was that like watching that?
0: The coolest sport moment. I've ever been a part of or ever seen was back to back that that crowd especially when we hit the back to back to back like you said, the coolest sport moment ever. It was just like people were going crazy. Like I saw videos after the game. There's like, our fans are tackling each other like they're throwing (laughs) beer in each other's faces. Like they didn't care like it was like a war in that crowd. Everybody was going nuts. I mean, the way that they showed up and made that place Swayze North, that was awesome. I mean, the the fans just came. I mean, I've been an Ole Miss Rebel my whole life, like I've said. So, I've always traveled to bowl games growing up. And I've always realized, hey, Ole Miss fans, they travel for the big stuff like this. They really travel. We always have traveled. And uh, so, I was excited to see how it would be that final weekend in Omaha. Because, I mean, we had good crowds during the week. But, I mean, it wasn't like that weekend, like, I had over 50 text messages from different people, hey, coming to Omaha this weekend, Coming to Omaha, Coming to Omaha. Uh, and I had the rest of the team was having people saying the same thing. So we knew it was going to be packed out. We thought maybe fifteen, sixteen thousand 16,000 Rebels. No, nah, there's 25,000 on this people in that stadium.
1: It was unbelievable. I mean, the the back-to-back-to-back literally sounded like a football game. It was the closest thing <laughs> to some sort of Saturday SEC game that I've ever seen. So when y'all win that night, did Saturday or Sunday, whatever it was kind of feel like a coronation? Cause I know you got to stay focused, but I just remember, I remember doing the post game show that night with Neil and I was like, they're not losing tomorrow. There's just no way. I don't know how it's going to happen, but there's just no way. When you guys won that first night, did it kind of feel like, okay, we're, we're right there. Like this is ours.
0: Yeah. So there was two thoughts after that first win. First thought is these guys can't hit Elliot. There's no way they're hitting Elliot. Like, it's over. we're winning the national championship. Second thought was, okay, if somehow they beat Elliot and somehow they end up doing it, they're not beating Elliott and Delusia two games in a row right i would I would do whatever I could to I, I'd bet my last dime on that. I would I mean, there's no way, no way they're beating them two games in a row, and luckily, Elliot went out there and he did his thing. I mean he had some bad luck, and what was it the seventh maybe yeah. At the seventh, where it's a little bit of bad luck, but uh I mean, even then, when we're down, what was it, two to one in the ninth, it wasn't over.
1: The, yeah, and that's a good point too, because the the game one was Oklahoma's to win. Like Ole Miss, you, know, you guys were kind of in between the Delusia Elliott piece of it, and Doherty was incredible. I mean, that yeah, that's, it really that's why I wow. that it was over. It was unbelievable. And then the, I mean, the crowd piece of it. That rattled. I mean, their first-round shortstop kicked the ball in the first inning. and that. Yep, I'm glad you said that. Teacher. They uh, were – they would completely succumb to the moment. I think the crowd completely uh, kind of screwed them up mentally.
0: I do, too. Um, at that first inning, I think Kemp hit that ball to shortstop. Was it yeah. Kemp Alderman that hit it? So, Kemp, obviously, he's the strongest human I've been around. So, I mean, I think he hit that ball like 105 anyways, 106, when he's usually hitting balls 115. So, he didn't hit it as hard as he usually does, but when – I saw him boot that. I was like, "Oh my goodness!" This crowd is like all over him. Like the crowd went nuts, and I was glad you mentioned something about the crowd because I, I remember seeing the presser uh, after that game, and some of their players got asked about the crowd, and they're like, "Nah, it, it didn't affect us." And I was like, "B.S." Yeah, you could tell they're. <laughs> what are you talking about?
1: You're lying. Well, the coach was like, well, we've been down to Florida. And I was like, well, they get like 4,000 people. <laughs> they went to Virginia Tech. I was like, there's 24,000 people rooting against you. Like, just admit that it, it, it's tough. <laughs> so, It was, a, it was a, an incredible scene. Honestly, something I'll never forget. Uh, it was really unbelievable. So, you guys, it happens in the 8th for you on, on Sunday, and you guys win. Take me through the moments after. I mean, you were running out there. You kept the streak alive, I believe, is the first one out there. What are those moments like? I mean, it's, it, I imagine it had to be a little bit of a blur, but just take me through the celebration on the field after because you guys dogpiling and then taking a lap around the stadium was kind of mesmerizing to watch.
0: Uh, yeah, it, it was a bunch of tears for me. Uh, it was just everything I had ever wanted to do in my life uh, as an Ole Miss fan and as a player. as I had accomplished it right there. So it was everything I'd ever wanted. And, I mean, it was just the tears started flowing for me. And uh, any player I could find, I was hugging, telling them I love them, how proud I was of them this year. You just got to embrace so many guys. It was a really special moment for me. That That's probably one of the moments I'll remember for the rest of my life as a baseball player was embracing everyone after we won it. Like, we can finally breathe. It's over with. We did it. We did what we wanted to do all season long. And then going around the field, that was, that was, that was cool. I bet. I mean, they were, the guys were going – the crowd's going crazy. We're, we're getting to do the lap because, you know, we didn't host a regionals or a super right. regional, so we didn't get to do the lap in Swayze. So, doing it there was even more bittersweet.
1: One of the things, as we kind of wrap up here, I, I, I didn't mention this earlier, but it is definitely a part of the story, the Mike Bianco piece of it. I imagine you guys were pretty acutely aware of what he was up against when things weren't going well. You're human. You see stuff. Social media wasn't I remember thinking if someone has been around like Mike in that program for seven, eight years from like a semi-professional standpoint, I remember thinking like, I get it. It's probably just looking at it time. I get you guys probably have a different mindset from inside, but I was like, this is just not a fitting ending. Like is this guy's career really going to go out that way? And then to juxtapose that with three and a half weeks later of him getting the Gatorade bath and hugging his family on the field, I know his oldest son decently well. It was just a really cool moment, and it was easy to be happy for someone like that, something I have no stake in, no dog in the fight. I was just happy for that guy because he's a national championship quality coach. He built the program from the ground up, and if it was really going to end the way it looked like it was going to end, it just felt really unceremonious. I'm just curious how conscious was that in you guys' mind throughout the run? not that hey we're playing to save his job but like how aware were you guys of what he was up against versus kind of what you accomplished by the end of it
0: uh we knew what he was up against like we heard all the rumors like but they're rumors like we didn't know what's true and what's not true we we just had heard stuff and it it didn't affect us like during the season if anything it made us want to play harder like and that was cool i mean saw what happened there but on coach b's half i'll say that uh he's going to be able to leave Oxford whenever he wants to leave Oxford. There's no running him out now. Uh, After what he did and accomplished this year to turn a team around that was doing so poorly. I mean, what an incredible job by him. And I was so happy for him.
1: I know you always kept the belief, but if you got back to your apartment or wherever you're living after the state series, for example, and you're like, Hey, you guys are going to win the national championship. What have you have been like, are you on drugs? What would you have thought in that moment sitting there after the state series? Like, well, you guys are going to finish as the last team standing.
0: Uh, I would have told you, well, that's going to be a hell of a story. <laughs> and it, it sure did turn into one.
1: That's a great way to put it. The parade. I got to ask about that. I forgot about that one. So one of the things that I, I kind of wrote about a lot after you guys won there are a lot of good old Miss teams in the past. There's been a team that made to Omaha, but you guys winning it, you will be immortal. Um, and I know people throw that word around a lot, but like 25 years from now, people remember everything about you guys, everything about this team. You may have just been in the moment celebrating like hell. I'm glad they let you guys catch some of the beers people are throwing at you. I was worried for you all. <laughs> I was like, I think these guys stay sober for this. That's just cruel. What Did you take any of that in at all? Like, did, did you – is that sunk in at all that you guys will be remembered forever? And just what was it like two days later, the celebration almost not seeming like it was ever ending?
0: Uh, well, the parade seemed really fun at first, and then I had to make sure I didn't get hit in the head by White Claws the whole time. That'd
1: be so. Tough. i wear a helmet.
0: That was interesting. No, the, the parade was great. The celebration was great. The, everything afterwards was awesome. But, yeah, it, it's finally sunk in for me. It took some time. But, I mean, we're national champions. And, like, it didn't sink in for a bit. Like, I was just, like, on cloud nine. And I'm just like, super excited to get back to Oxford this fall and get our rings finally. Uh, I think that's all we can talk about right now is getting rings. And, yeah, we're going to be legends forever. And that's, that's cool to put it that way.
1: You posted a really heartfelt kind of goodbye to Ole Miss and a goodbye to baseball. And so, to package in as a question, what is kind of next for you?
0: Uh. I'm enjoying myself in Costa Rica right now, and I'll figure out what's next when I can. Uh, I'm not thinking about that at the moment. Just trying to enjoy myself on a little vacation.
1: Absolutely. I love that. I probably should ask that in a better way. Like, I wouldn't ask you to give me your five-year plan and a resume or some shit. (laughs) But as someone who's done baseball their whole life, I guess is what I meant, as you transition out of baseball and you're not going to do the professional thing, going out like this has to make this a lot easier, right? Because pretty much everyone else ends their career disappointed or ends their career – in the minor league somewhere or maybe if you get really lucky you end up in the pros but like the way this went out you think this transition outside of baseball is going to be made not that it would be difficult for you but just like easier the fact like I went out as as high as you could possibly go
0: uh yeah I mean going out like this what a, what a crazy baseball path that I was on like I, I enjoyed this game so much and Uh, I loved it and I still do love it. And I'm going to be around the sport as much as I can be. Who knows? I might end up coaching one day, but, uh, just to go out like that was the best feeling in the world. And like what you're saying with being a national champion, like having some confidence and stuff, I I truly think it helps with like searching for a job. Like (laughs) people can like see me and see the type of role I had or whatever it is and be like, yeah, that guy was a national champion. Like let's hire a national champion. I don't know. Um, I, I think, I think I'm going to be okay. I, I feel confident with myself and I think baseball is something that gave me the confidence I have. So I hope I have a successful life. That's, that's what's next for me.
1: I got to end on this. So you kind of have a cult like following amongst this podcast listenership. I'm an MIS guy. I kind of started this bit talking about how the MIS is probably tougher than the SEC in most sports. Um, It got to the point where I'm not sure most people understand it's a bit. Now I have the prep Jackson prep athletic director, like, tweeting me and thanking me sometimes. So we're, we're curious where that's going to end up. But uh, you're an MIS guy. We're trying to get you on the home run train. Have you ever had anyone yell up at you about your home run over under? Because that would be my fault. I'll take responsibility for that now. <laughs> <Have you laughs> no, I, like
0: I, I, I have I it, have. It's, it's kind of funny. Like, like for instance, like, we're, uh, we're in, in – Bat- in, not in Baton Rouge, in uh, Hattiesburg in Super Regional. I'm eating at dinner with my family and somebody comes up to my table. Hey, you gonna you gonna hit a home run this year. I said, I'm working on it. I'm sorry, I'm working on it. <laughs> like it's 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 funny like i don't I don't understand it. I think in my fall and spring inter squads combined on miss, I hit like fifteen within two or three years. And at JUCO, I hit, I think, combined 24 in two years. I mean, it's not like I can't do it. It's just it never happened for me. And it was a joke among the team. Like, it was hilarious.
1: That was the joke, though, that you're a great hitter and, like, you just got, like, bad luck. And it's one of the weirdest statistic things of all time. But I was just curious. I wonder if one of our rabid listeners had accosted you about that. I'm glad it hasn't been too bad. But, uh, man, I really appreciate this. This has been a ton of fun. I know I kept you longer than I told you, but this has been amazing. I really appreciate the time. Enjoy sunny Costa Rica. It's hot as hell in Oxford right now. It looks a little nicer there, but (laughs) national champion Ben Van Cleve, I really appreciate your time, my
0: man. Uh, Thanks for having me on. I enjoyed it.
1: All right, that is our show. If you made it to the end, I really appreciate you making this podcast a part of your day. Really, really appreciate Ben Van Cleve agreeing to uh, hop on the podcast. Hopefully he took my advice and no longer wore a shirt for the entire time. He was on the island because uh, he can pretty much do whatever he wants. National champion, MIS legend, just a great guy all around. Really uh, really enjoyed talking to Ben. We'll be back out in the middle of the week, probably a Thursday show this week. Got a couple of work things I got to get to on Monday and Tuesday. So we we'll be back Thursday, and then we'll probably bring back Mailback Friday, the people's holiday this week, because we kind of hit SEC media days and uh, some summer topics as football season nears. So that's our show. Y'all have a great start to the week. We'll be back with some SEC media days reaction and more. Later on in the week, you'll have a great start to the week.